So one of the things that just kind of comes with the, the role that I am and having the opportunity to, to preach and teach every single week is that um, I receive feedback. And uh, a, a lot of times um, that feedback is positive and the Lord uses it to really bless me because you really don't ever know what God's doing with his word. And it certainly is encouraging when people say, wow, the, the Lord really did this work in me um, through the word that we were talking about that morning. Uh, but there are some times when the feedback that I get isn't so positive, where someone's trying to uh, question something that I said or point out to me that I was maybe even in error, right? That that wasn't necessarily uh, the truth. There was uh, one email that I received um, along those particular lines uh, several years ago, and the very first line of it said this, I'm so sorry, but I am writing to let you know that we will not be coming back to your church because we need to be a part of a church that teaches the truth of the Bible. Wow, I, I thought I was teaching truth from the Bible, right? I mean, most Sundays, I mean, every single Sunday I show up and preach, we open up His Word, and it's, there's always Scripture. It's never me sharing my opinion with you about things. We're going to see what God says about it, but more times than not, it's even that we're going verse by verse through a passage talking about just what the Bible actually says. And so I thought, I, I mean, I really was thinking that I was teaching the truth that was found in the Bible. So I wasn't real curious what they were talking about, but I noticed that after they said that, that they included a link. They included a link in the email to an, an article that I guess they wanted me to read. And so I clicked on the link and I began to read through some of it. And it was basically an article that was all about making sure that we were teaching people to obey the commandments, to live a life of true obedience. We have to know the commands, and we need to follow God's commands. And there was some mention of grace. It wasn't all about rules and commandments, but the grace was basically saying that we're saved by grace, that it's only through faith alone, um, in Christ alone, by His grace alone, right, that we really are saved. But basically, once we come to know Jesus, that the way we live the Christian life is by knowing the rules, focusing on the rules, and making sure that we obey the rules. Now, a lot of us think that's true. That actually sounds like it's true. It makes logical sense that we would bring glory and honor to God by knowing His rules and how we want to live and being careful to make sure that we're not breaking those rules and commandments and that we're doing what it is that He wants us to be doing so that He's pleased and so that other people get a, a good idea of who God is. We don't give Him a, a bad name and a bad reputation. But the question that I have for you this morning is, is that true? Is it really true that we receive salvation through grace, but we live the Christian life through commandments, through rules, by doing our best to make sure that we're being good people and honoring God with how we live? A lot of us think this grace thing can only go so far. Right? I mean, if we continue to talk about God's grace after someone becomes a Christian, then we're just going to have a bunch of people running around sinning all the time, dishonoring God and giving Him a bad name. But again, is that true? 
The Apostle Paul has actually already addressed this issue a little bit within the last chapter, in chapter 6. He anticipated, after talking about so much grace in the first several chapters, that some people might begin to have an objection, right? If all this grace is available to us, Paul, then shouldn't I just go on sinning? Wouldn't it be better for me to just live a life of sin, knowing that I get to go spend eternal life with Jesus in heaven one day? And Paul, do you remember how he answered that? By no means. May it never be, Paul says. He says, don't you know who you are? Don't you know who you are. You are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer, he says. Remember, Paul says the, the old you died, the one with a sin nature flowing through you to produce sins. And now, Paul says, you've been united to Christ. In other words, he says, you were at one time locked in a cage. You were a slave to temporary pleasures and satisfaction that are found in this world through sin. But now, but now you've been unlocked. You've been, you've been released from the cage, and now you're free to live the life that God created you to live ultimately in the first place. A life full of meaning, a life full of purpose, a life full of abundance, right? So he says, this is who you were, this is who you are now. So, no, it makes no sense to be asking these questions about how, how grace is going to lead you to sin. Because grace, Paul's arguing, is actually what sets you up to not have to sin. It's his grace that sets you up to not have to sin. But Paul knows that some are still so focused on the law. He's brought this issue up a couple of times, but didn't really camp out on it much. And he knows there's questions in people's minds with that. It just doesn't seem to make sense. The only way to really live a life pleasing to God is to know the rules, focus on the rules, and make sure we abide by his rules. So Paul dives into this a lot more as we get into chapter 7. Let's see what he says beginning in verse 1. He says, do you not know? Sound familiar? I said that earlier in chapter 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters? So he's writing again to Christians. We're reminded that he's writing to people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. In other words, imagine that one day, many, many years from now, you pass away. Right? It's going to happen. The day is coming for all of us, and many, many years from now, one day you pass away, and it's the day of your funeral, and you're in the casket, and you're riding in the back of a hearse, and all of a sudden, a police officer pulls over the hearse. But instead of going to the driver, the police officer actually goes to the back, opens up the door, and begins to pull out your coffin, and he begins to open it up and grab your body and handcuff you to take you back to the police station. So, so whoever's driving at this point in time is going, what in the world is going on? Mr. Police Officer, why are you taking this dead body back to prison, right? 
It makes no sense. This person, the, 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 the police officer might say, well, listen, this guy at Simple uh, broke the law, right? They, they had a bunch of outstanding parking tickets and there was a warrant out for his arrest and so I'm simply arresting him, right? It's, it's ludicrous to even think along those lines and that that kind of thing would, would ever happen because we all know that you are only bound and the law only has authority over you while you are alive. If you hadn't died and the police officer knocked on your door and said, hey, there's a warrant out for your arrest because you have a bunch of outstanding parking tickets, then he had every right and all the authority in the world to arrest you in that moment and take you to jail. But if you're dead, everybody knows that you are no longer under the authority of the law. You're in a different position now. So Paul's principle here that he's stating is simple. The law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. Now that's my example, but Paul now gives his own example to the church at Rome that he's writing to. Verse 2, he says, For example, by law, a married man is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, another simple illustration to the principle that he made in verse 1. I mean, marriage is meant to be a lifetime deal, right? It is till death do you part. It is a till death do you part kind of union that you enter into. And so if this woman, in his example, cheated on her spouse while they were still married, then she would have been guilty of committing adultery. But if her spouse has died, then she is no longer committing adultery if she marries another man. So this is Paul's example. He's just stated a principle. Now he's illustrated it to make sure they kind of see what it is that he's talking about. And now when we get to verse 4, he makes his point. The reason that he brought up the principle in the first place. So in verse 4, he says, So, or therefore, as a result of this principle that I mentioned in verse 1, brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. Turn to your neighbor and say, You died to the law. Not all of you participated in that. Turn to your neighbor. And say, you died to the law. Now say it personally. I died to the law. This is what Paul says. Paul's already taught us, we've already mentioned it, how when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, that we experienced a death. Not a physical death, but the old us, the one that was in Adam, that we died. He's already said that, right? And he says that when you died, when the old you died, you died to certain things. You experienced a death, and now he's been getting specific about things that you died to or that you've been separated from now. He already talked about one of those in chapter 6, and I brought it up earlier in our message. Do you remember what the first thing that you died to Sin. I think I heard somebody say it over here. You died to sin. 
the, the sin nature that you had, the stuff that was running through you from the core that produced sins in your life, you've been separated from. You died to it. When you died, you died to the power of sin. But now Paul brings up a second thing that you've also died to. You didn't just die to the power of, the, of sin. You also died to the law, which means it no longer has any authority over you. Remember the principle. Paul said in verse 1 that the law has authority only over people who are alive, and Paul is saying you are no longer alive, not in the sense that you once were. The old you is dead. All right? So, so the question then becomes why, right? Why, why did we have to die? And Paul's going to answer that, but first he makes sure that we know how we died to the law. So look what he says next. We're, we're making our way through, slowly through verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. How, Paul? Through the body of Christ. Through the body of Christ is a reference, of course, to Jesus' death on the cross. So the question becomes, how does Jesus' death on the cross make us dead to the law? And the answer to that is that he satisfied the demands of the law on our behalf. He satisfied the demands of the law on our behalf. The law condemns every single one of us. We talked about this a little bit last week. Paul referred to it in 2 Corinthians as the ministry of condemnation. The law sets the standard, right? This is the standard before a holy and a perfect God. And we try and we try and we try, but we cannot reach that standard. And we fail and we experience the condemnation. And we try and we try. When we break it again, we go, oh, I'm still a failure. And over and over and over again, you're under condemnation if you're living under the Law. We all fail in our ability to keep the law and are condemned by it as guilty sinners. But look at what Paul says in a different letter that he wrote in Colossians to the church at Colossae in chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says this, Jesus canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us he has already taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is what happened through Jesus' death. And here in Romans 7, 4, Paul is saying that we died to the law through Jesus' death because it satisfied the demand of the law. He fulfilled it for so he makes the statement that we died to it. This is how we died to it. And now, in this verse, he's going to get to the purpose of killing us off from the law, separating us from the law. So let's go back and start again. So, verse 4, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. How, Paul? Through the body of Christ. What's the purpose of that? So that, Paul says, you might belong to another. Who should we belong to, Paul? To him who was raised from the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying is, in a sense, you were married to the law. You belonged to it. It owned you. You were in slavery to the law. You were condemned underneath the law. 
And Paul is saying the purpose of you dying to the law was so that now you could be freed from the bondage and the condemnation that you were in under the law so that you could belong to Jesus Christ, so that you could be married to and in union with the living God himself. But why did we need to be united to Jesus? Paul finally gets to that at the very end of this verse. Let's read it all together again. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. What was the purpose of that, Paul? So that we might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Why? What's the purpose of that? In order that we might bear fruit for God. Jesus had to kill us off and separate us from the law so that we could actually produce fruit. You follow what I'm saying here? We think the law, knowing it, following it, paying attention to it, I gotta be obedient to it all, is going to be what produces the fruit. But Paul says here that Jesus had to kill us off from that and remove us from it and separate us from all of that so that we could actually now begin to live a holy lifestyle so that we could live righteously. Again, Jesus is the only source which can produce fruit. We talked about this a little bit last week and Jesus even said it in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Notice the bear language there and in verse 4 of Romans that we just said. He didn't say produce. He said that we would bear. There is a difference in us producing the fruit in us bearing fruit. Branches don't produce fruit. Branches bear fruit, right? So, so the fruit gets produced not from the branch, but from the life-giving stuff that's in the vine that begins to flow through the branch. And that life-giving stuff, Paul says, was not in us. So no matter how hard we were trying to follow the rules and be obedient, we could not actually produce good fruit. The law was a system of externals trying to follow the rules, be good enough so that godly fruit would come out. But how can godly fruit come out if God is not in there in the first place? So God had to remove us from the system of externals, which produced nothing. We had to die to the law so that God could put himself in us. And now with that life-giving stuff flowing through the vine, we as a branch can actually bear fruit. Another way of saying it is that Jesus gave his life for you so that he could put his life in you and then live his life through you. It's his life that comes flowing in and through you. He died for you so he could put his life in you so that he could live his life through you. And Paul goes on to show this uh, next in verse 5. He says, for when we were, we were in the realm of the flesh, that, that realm with no God in us, where sin was still our master, where we had to try to make our own way by ourselves. When we were in that realm, the sinful passions, Paul says, 
Listen to this, underline this. Aroused by the what? Somebody say it. Law. Aroused by the law were at work in us so that the result of it, we bore fruit for death. We're saved by grace. Now we live the Christian life by law. Paul says that sinful passions were aroused by the law. Now, he's going to come back and say, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that the law is bad. The law is holy. The law is good. But, but listen, in our flesh, we, we tend to respond one of two ways, right? And, and some of you will put yourselves, in, in general, right? I'm just talking about generalizations in one of two categories. Either you are a rule follower or you're kind of a rebel, right? You're told not to do something, dadgummit, then guess what I'm doing? The thing you just told me not to do. And that's characteristic, in general, of more like the way some of you are. You're told not to do something, man. You're just thinking about, I'm, I, I can't stop but think about doing that thing. And you have lived your life mostly being characterized as a rebel, as a rule breaker, right? But then there are some of you who, uh, well, in, in the sin, the, what was produced there was, was death, obviously, right, through the sin that we enter into and all of that stuff is death. But then those of us who are rule followers in our flesh, we're given the law. Here's the things you shouldn't do. Here's the things that you do. And you know what we think? I can do that. <laughs> I can do that, right? And we get busy really trying to follow the rules. And a lot of us become pretty good at following most of the rules and really good at diminishing and just ignoring the ones that we break, right? So, so, so really, none of us ever live by it perfectly, but we're more of a rule follower, and people see that on the outside of us, and everybody thinks of us as being really good, but we're really just good at hiding the sins that we do well, and we're really good at putting on a front of displaying how well we're doing in all of these other things. But even if we're able to follow them mostly, what generally happens with the rule followers is that we get filled with pride and judgmentalism, right? Look at me. I'm able to follow the rules. Oh, especially way better than the lawbreakers and the rebels over here, right? And so we're using them to justify how good it is that we are in our own minds and before God. Aren't you proud of me, God, that I'm not like them living a life of disgusting sin and I'm following all of the rules and we just fill up with all this pride and we look down on them and are judging them. Either way, Paul says, whether you lead the life of rebellion or you're trying to follow all the rules, it just produces is fruit for death so this is why we had to die to the law verse 6 Paul says but now mm, mm, but now by dying to what once bound us we have been released from the law why so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code, which is a reference to the law, to the commandments. So uh, we're no longer slaves to the law. We've been set free from what once bound us. Paul said the law once bound us and kept us in change. But now, since we've been changed, since we've been regenerated into a new creation, 
with life-giving stuff flowing in us, we can actually produce godly fruit as he works in us and through us. So because that's true, Paul says, now that you are capable of it, if you go back and you try to serve in the old way, by focusing on the rules, focusing on the commandments and going, I'm going to try not to do these and I'm going to try to do these things. He's saying that you will not produce fruit. Now that you've been set up to actually be able to do it, you don't go back to the old way, which you were bound to, and, and was used to arouse the sinful passions in you in the first place. There's a new way of living and it's not by focusing on the rules and the commandments and the do's and the don'ts. He says we serve in a new way of the Spirit, right? The Christian life is lived by the power of the Spirit living in us and through us. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, to offer every part of yourself to God as a what? Instrument. Instrument of righteousness I just make myself available to you there's a guitar back here right that is an instrument the guitar is not going to play itself the master plays the guitar I offer myself as an instrument of righteousness and the Holy Spirit the master is going to play me in such a way that he is going to bring forth what it is that he's already made true of me on the inside Paul's been saying if you've been tracking through this whole letter he, he started off in the first several chapters saying how we're all condemned by sin that, that, that none of us has a chance that there's no way we can match up to a holy and a perfect God and that you can't be justified he makes a point in the first several chapters, you cannot be justified through the law. He's brought up the law, but it was all in reference to justification. And he made his point that you're justified by faith, not by the law. You're justified by grace and through faith. But here, now, a few chapters later, Paul goes a step further. He says, not only is the law incapable of saving you, the law is actually incapable of producing righteous and holy living. That's what Paul says. Not only is the law incapable of saving you, the law is incapable of producing righteous and holy living. The law, while holy and good, highlights our sin, even passively promotes sin, but just like we are justified apart from the law, Paul is saying that we live the Christian life apart from the law. I'm just reading to you what the Bible says. You notice that, right? I just read to you what the Bible says. That's not true. That's not true. We have to know the commandments. We got to know the rules. We got to focus on the Ten Commandments and not do those things. Live a life of obedience. Make sure that we're pleasing and we're honoring God. Too much grace and no talk of all of that and all the unrighteous living that's going on out there is just going to produce a, 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 a sinful, unholy lifestyle who's taken advantage of His grace. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the truth. We need to be a part of a place that teaches the truth. 
truth is that we're saved by grace and we live the Christian life through grace, through faith. It's not one and then, up oh, tricked you, now here you are again. It's, it's both. So, so how does this play out in our lives? Well, for those of us ha- who have received Jesus into our life, then we make sure that, that we're not focused on, on the law. We're not going to be combing through this whole thing trying to, what's the law? What's the law? What's the rules? What should I not do? What can I not do? What can I not do? And then focusing on doing it and then trying to do what's right. And I'm focused on obedience. I'm focused on obedience. I'm focused on obedience. I'm just following the rules. I'm going to do what's right. And he goes, no, 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 no. The Spirit lives in you. <laughs> He's given you a new heart. Jesus lives, you're united to Jesus. Can Jesus lead you into sin? No. To live the Christian life by the Spirit means that we keep our eyes fixed on the Spirit to guide us where He wants us to go. And that when we get there, He's the one that's going to show us what to do. And then even at that point, He's the one that's going to empower us to do it. He gave His life for you so He could put His life in you so that He could live His life through you. You're just the instrument, you're just the vessel. You see what we're saying here? It means practically that we're careful when we study God's Word. And we should study all of it from the very beginning to the very end. But we need to be careful that when we go back and we study the Old Testament and the Old Commands and all of the stuff that was there, that that we're, we're reading it through a new covenant lens. We've got to make sure that's what this practically means, that we don't just go back and read it and go, oh, that's what I do then. You've got to know things have changed now on the other side. Imagine a big river right down the middle, right? And this is the old covenant, and the river separates you, and this is the new covenant. It's tied into it, right? It's been parted back, and you walked in and across it and all of that. And so we read and we know about it all, but right, you're on this side of the river. So if you go back and read about things on this side, then you better make sure that you're understanding why it was written during this side and where we've been brought to and what the point of it was to get you here and how that applies to your life now you've got to read the old covenant through the new covenant lens and that honestly even means that we have to do that through many of the things that Jesus says in his ministry he was ministering to people still under the law the new covenant does not start until there's a death right this is what we Hebrews talks about The new covenant began with Jesus' death, not his birth. And so we pay attention. Jesus was hinting at the new, but he was still teaching under the old. So we've still got to even be careful about what we're reading and saying and understanding all of that through this new lens. Paul says we serve in the new way, the new way of the Spirit. Over and over again, we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on do this and don't do that. Focus on Jesus, he'll lead us in his ways and he will produce good fruit in us and through us. It means for those of you who are here today or you're watching online and never received Jesus into your life, what we saw Paul say in these first six verses shows us it's impossible. It's impossible to make yourself into a better you by following the rules and doing good things. You can't change a broken, sinful heart on the inside by getting better at living external rules on the outside which is why Jesus had to come and die and give us a whole new heart. He went to the cross 
to die for our sins so that you could be forgiven, so that he again could come live in you, kill off your old heart, give you a new heart, one joined to him and united to him, and now you have the capacity to be able to produce good fruit, or bear, excuse me, bear fruit, him to produce the fruit in you and through you. So maybe this practical application for you today if you're here you're watching online and you've never taken a step of faith you've been counting on and trusting in your own ways using other people to justify you before a holy and a perfect god maybe the step he's leading you to take is a step of faith to receive him into your life to receive his grace and to give you the opportunity to do that now